Jewish houses in ancient Israel didn't have inner rooms. They weren't built with prayer closets. So Jesus is doing what Jesus often does, and he's speaking in metaphor. He's not saying go into your inner room. He's saying go into your inner room. And you know what that's like. You know what it's like when you're praying for everything out here, and you also know what it's like when you're praying in here. And there's one that's concerned about external opinion, and there's one that's considered with internal relationship. Prayer is called to be personal. So let's practice in a way that's personal. Well, hey there. If we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. If we were to have a conversation about the essentials that you need in order to be a healthy leader, what do you think we would discuss? Well, I'm sure we'd discuss a personal growth plan because as we always say, if you want to put your business in order, start by putting yourself in order. We'd probably then turn our eyes and attention to uh, an aspirational mission and immovable core values because those are really the foundations of having a remarkable culture. I'm sure we'd spend time talking about operationalizing and really focusing on the systems and processes necessary to make excellence predictable and repeatable instead of haphazard and accidental. Here's an answer that I think is really easy to overlook, and it's one that we often don't think about. I believe that one of the essentials that you need in order to be a healthy leader is a vibrant, thriving, flourishing prayer life. And I can just speak from my own experience that when my prayer life is weak, when I'm doing it out of obligation and not from a posture of opportunity and overflow, when my heart isn't in my prayer life, when it's inconsistent, almost always, if that's the status of my prayer life, my leadership is also weak, inconsistent, unstable, and ineffective. Conversely, man, when I'm engaging with prayer in a way that is exciting, in a way that is anticipatory, in a way that is expectant, where I realize like, man, prayer is this unique and wildly powerful opportunity for me to actually decenter myself, to remove myself from the center of the conversation, put God back at the center and then commune with the creator of the universe. Oh my gosh. It's like when that becomes effective, my leadership becomes radically more effective as a consequence. That's why I wanted to share today's podcast with you. It was a handful of months ago now that a guy that's been a mentor and a friend of mine for over a decade, Dan Underhill, asked me to come teach a message at his church, Cornerstone Church in Austin, Texas. And he said specifically, I'd love for you to give a message on the topic of prayer. Now, whenever he gave me that request, I was simultaneously excited and intimidated. Excited because this is literally a topic, it's something that, man, specifically in the past 18 months, I've learned some things, I've applied some things, I've engaged with some things to where my prayer life has become, I mean, just radically more effective and it's had massive implications and transformative ramifications, honestly, for my life, my leadership, and my business. So that's why I was so excited because I'm like, yeah, I want to talk on that topic and I want to teach on that topic. But then I was intimidated because it's like, well, how on earth do you teach on that topic? How do you break that down? Not just in a way that you talk about it for 30 minutes, but rather you you transfer the best information there is on prayer in a way that is accessible, 
in a way that is applicable and in a way that is transformative. It was such a powerful exercise for me to have to put on paper, okay, what is the best of what I've learned about this? And it really comes from what Jesus taught us about prayer in Matthew 5 and 6. And for those reasons, I wanted to share that message with you because this is a topic, prayer, that has absolutely changed the way that I think about leadership. And it's something that it would be disingenuous of me to not share what I've learned about the fundamentals of prayer and the framework of prayer with you. Here we go. Look at the person next to you and say, game on. Okay, one more time. Look at the person next to you. Say, game on. on. How many of you, just by show of hands, have ever played or seen the game Spikeball? Have you ever seen this game? Yeah, okay. We got got a a little bit of a younger crowd here than Spicewood, it seems like. Very good. So, Spikeball is this great game. JP, it's good to see you, man. I didn't see you there. Great to see you. (laughs) Sorry, ADD. Spikeball is this great game, right? And and I, I kind of was exposed to it about three years ago. This is what it looks like. And you, you kind of stand with four people around a net. You're you're on the same team, right? And and you play with one other person. And, and you're hitting the ball into the net. And you play for 21 points. And I got exposed to this about three or four years ago. And it was a, a group of friends and I that would play multiple times a week. And we just had a blast. It was so much fun. I just really enjoyed it. I also have a tendency, maybe some of y'all are this way too, to get maybe be just a little bit too competitive sometimes, right? And, and that's how I got into this, right? Is we, man, we were just going back and forth every single time and every single time was so serious. It was so intense. We would just have an absolute blast. And specifically, there was one guy that just about every time I was there, he was also there. It's a good friend of mine. His name's Paul. And something that you need to know about Paul is that he and I, whenever we started, we probably both started at about the same level of skill whenever it came to spike. And so we could do some of the same moves. We could hit some of the same shots. We could pass in some of the same ways. And so we started at the same level, but the issue was is that we didn't stay at the same level. So in many ways for me, this picture right here is really the correct picture, right? Like I started there and sure, I got marginally better. I experienced marginal improvement and there were shots maybe a couple that I wasn't hitting before that I couldn't make. Meanwhile, literally over the course of four weeks, Paul went from that to this. Like, (laughs) this is Paul. And like, whenever we started, it's like I was winning 50%. He was winning 50%. And then two weeks in, it's like I was winning 25%. He was winning 75% of the games. And, And then, I mean, four weeks in, it's like I could not win a game. I could not even win a point. And I was getting so irritated. I was like, he's getting so much better. We've been playing for the same amount of time. I got convinced that he was like playing at times that I wasn't playing. And he convinced me, no, that's that's not the case. And there was one particular time where we played and we were like, okay, we're going to play two out of three. And then I lost the first two. And I said, we're doing three out of five. And then I lost that one too. And it's like, what the heck? And so I was in the car with him. We were riding to get dinner with a group of people. And I was just so irritated. It was like an internal catastrophe for me, like how, how much better he had gotten Because, I mean, how many of you can relate to this? Let me see your hands. You like to win. You hate to lose. Yes, yeah, that's me, right? And so he could see that I was irritated. He could see that I was losing it. And he was like, dude, what's the deal? And I said, I just just don't get it, Paul. I don't understand. I said, we started at the same time. We started at the same level. You have gotten exponentially better. And I feel like I haven't improved at all. What is the deal? I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why that's the case. 
And he just looked at me and said, I know why. I said, okay, please share. And he said, Alex, you view every game and you view maybe even every point as the game. He said, for me, it's all practice. He said, you're obsessed with the outcome. I'm focused on the effort. You're like concerned with perfection. I'm focused on process. He's like, you're focused on the destination. I'm kind of just interested in making progress. I had a game mindset. He had a practice mindset. Here's what I want you to know this morning. Prayer is a practice. So often, we're obsessed with the outcome and God's interested in the effort. So often, we've got this expectation of perfection and God just says, man, I just value the process. So often, we want to see this destination. God's like, hey, we're on the journey. Prayer is a practice. And I think it fits in so perfectly with the series that Cornerstone's in right now because the series is aware. And for me, for a long time, my prayer life was blocked. First of all, just because I wasn't aware is this is how we're supposed to view it. This is how we're supposed to perceive it is as practice. But then because I never perceived it in that way, I never applied the standards and thoughts of the way professionals practice to my prayer life. And here's what I want you to know is like when a professional gets into the realm of practice, what do they focus on? Well, there's two things that really come to mind. For a professional, when they practice, they are relentlessly, deliberately, committedly focused on the fundamentals. Why is that? Because you never get good results by building on bad habits. Right? I, don't, I don't golf, but I have friends that golf, and they've golfed for years, and almost all of them reach this point where they hit their own lid, where they've been doing it on their own, and then once they hit their lid, they go seek a professional, and a professional helps them learn how to golf. And every single one of them has the same story. Maybe some of you have experienced this. They always tell me, Alex, he just told me immediately, we've got to deconstruct to reconstruct, right? Because if the way you swing the club is wrong, I don't want you practicing doing wrong things better because bad habits never build into good results. And so often, one of the things that we run into whenever it comes to prayer is the fundamentals are wrong, right? The way we dribble, pass, and shoot is wrong. It's theologically not correct. It's not aligned with who God is. It's not aligned with who Jesus is. And if our fundamentals of what prayer is and what the Bible says prayer is is wrong, our our results are not going to be good because we're building on bad habits, So we've got to focus on the fundamentals. And then the other thing that professionals always do is they always, always, always operate within a framework. Because think about this. What does the amateur do? The amateur, whenever they show up to practice, they say, what do I feel like practicing today? The professional is not driven by their feelings. The professional is driven by the framework. Now, certainly there's freedom within the framework, but they follow the framework And they say, it's not just going to be driven by my emotions because so often what I most need is the thing that I least feel like I want to do. And so as we dive into the topic of prayer today, it felt like a valuable, worthy, helpful question to ask, what are the fundamentals and what is the framework? And what's so cool 
is in his seminal sermon in Matthew 6, Jesus answers those two questions. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, Jesus says, and when you pray, maybe pause right there for a second, and when you pray, not if, when, according to Jesus, he's anticipating that we are people that pray. Worth noting. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the streets that their prayers may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door that your prayer may be in secret, and your heavenly Father who hears in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the Gentiles, for they love to heap up empty phrases, thinking that they will be heard for their many words." Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, speak to the Father, for he knows what you need before you ask him. Those are the fundamentals. And then he gives us a framework. Pray then like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He gave us the fundamentals and he gave us the framework. And so often, if we're getting bad results, it's because we're not applying ourselves to good practice. Prayer is a practice. And so let's focus on the fundamentals. This is the dribbling, the shooting, and the passing of prayer. First, we want to make sure that when we pray, we practice in a way that is personal. Aspen, my wife, I know for a fact one of her love languages is quality time. Now, think about the position that she would be in if we got on the plane this afternoon and I immediately plugged in my headphones and dove into my computer and didn't focus on her at all. She'd probably look at me and say, like, what's going on? Like, what are we doing here? I thought we were going to spend some time together on the way home. And what if I looked at her and I said, well, we did spend time together, right? We, we had 45 minutes during the service in Lakeway and 45 minutes during the service in Spicewood. And I was speaking to everyone, but you were there quality time, right? How's that marriage going to go, Right. <laughs> because she wants to be with me, right? And I want to be with her. But what's really interesting about this is you can still have a room of 200 people, but say that that room of 200 people or that plane of 200 people is a restaurant or something like that. And man, I'm locked in on Aspen and Aspen's locked in on me. We're still in the presence of other people, but it's quality time. One of God's love languages is quality time with you. One of your love languages is quality time with God. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the middle of the synagogues and on the street corners that their prayers may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. That's really interesting because he says, if you're doing it for the approval of other people and if you're doing it as a performance instead of something that's a personal relationship, he he doesn't say it's not going to do anything. He says, you will get what you're looking for. 
If you're doing prayer to check a box, that box will be checked and that will be your lid. If you're doing it to get the approval of others, you will get the approval of others, but that's it. So he says, so when you pray, go into your inner room and shut the door behind you that your prayers may be in secret. Think about that for a second. Because even in the prayer that he offers us as an example, the way that he prefixes it is our father. So he's even giving us a corporate prayer. And there's many examples of Jesus praying in public. So he's not saying that we always have to pray in private and it's this secret thing. What is he saying? Well, he says, go into your inner room and close the door. Jewish houses in ancient Israel didn't have inner rooms. They weren't built with prayer closets. So Jesus is doing what Jesus often does, and he's speaking in metaphor. He's not saying go into your inner room. He's saying go into your inner room. Yes, and you know what that's like. You know what it's like when you're praying for everything out here, and you also know what it's like when you're praying in here. And there's one that's concerned about external opinion, and there's one that's considered with internal relationship. Prayer is called to be personal. So let's practice in a way that's personal. We should also practice in a way that's simple. Have you ever maybe been around that person or maybe been that person that you're hanging out before the service or you're hanging out before dinner and you're just chatting, right? And like, you're just having a great conversation and they're super laid back and they're super kind and they're smiling and you're laughing and it's just really chill and you feel like they're really relatable. And then it's like, okay, the food's here, time to pray. Oh, thine illustrious father of greatness and goodness and light. And it's like, where did that person come from? And, and I, I really think the heart behind that and the sentiment behind that is right. Because oftentimes the sentiment behind that is I, I, want to treat God's divinity with reverence. And I want to be reverential. And that makes sense to me. But where on earth did we learn that in order to be reverential, you can't be real? Someone once told me, Alex, when you pray, just picture that Jesus is sitting in the chair right next to you and talk to him that way. And by the way, when Jesus initiated his ministry, he was 30. So it's like this 30-year-old guy that came down and just wants to talk and isn't anticipating that you bring him big words or impressive phrases. Do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. Another translation says, do not heap up empty phrases like the pagans do when they pray. What's interesting about that is Gentiles is an unbeliever, but they're still praying. So they believe in a God. It's just not his God. I want to pray to the God of Jesus. And that brings us to the third quality of practicing prayer. We want to practice in a way that's relational. Dan and I have a good relationship, and I got to see him for breakfast. Yeah, I hope I, I'm not exaggerating when I say that, right? Okay, good. <laughs> Kelly looked at him real quick. I was like, oh, gosh, right? <laughs> We've got a good relationship, and we sat down for breakfast um, the other morning. And, and just think about this for a second. What if we sat down for breakfast, and we were sitting across from each other at the table, and we sat there, and I just sat there and stared at him for a moment and just sat in silence. And then after a moment, I took a deep breath, and I just said, Speak! Speak, Dan, speak. How do you think he'd respond to that, 
right? And then I said, I'm expecting something good, Dan. Speak to me, speak to me, Dan. That's not the way we do relationship. Because one of the things that I know to be true is that the quality of our conversations never exceeds the quality of our questions. And so like in what relationship around here do you ever just walk up to someone and say, speak to me? In relationship, there's reciprocity. In relationship, there's talking and there's listening. In relationship, there's the give and take that we are collaborating and doing this together. God does not want you to be a spectator on everything he is doing. And the thing that we need to remember is that the thing that Jesus says in Matthew 6 is God already knows what you need before you ask him. So you're not praying to change him. You're praying so that he would change you. Mother Teresa was known around the globe for her work in Calcutta, India, primarily for just incredible acts of service and just a life of total selflessness. The people of faith know that she would say that those acts of service were rooted in a life of prayer that was vibrant and thriving and abundant. And there was an interview once where she sat down with a reporter and the reporter asked her, he said, you're known for your acts of service, but you're also known for your life of prayer. What are you saying to God when you pray? And she smiled a little bit, meek, small. She looked at him and she said, oh, I'm not saying anything, I'm listening. Good reporter though, because he asked the follow-up question. He said, okay, so you're listening. Well, then what is God saying to you? And she smiled again and looked at him. She said, oh, honey, he's listening too. And if you don't understand that, I'm afraid I can't help you. Why does that make sense? Like, why do we just hear that? And like, I get chills. I'm like, that's right. That's the experience. I don't really know, to be quite honest with you, and that's a characteristic of prayer that we need to remember, is that if you ever get to the point where you understand it, you're no longer praying to God because you don't understand God. There will always be a peace to powerful prayer that is wildly and remarkably mysterious. And thank God for that, because that makes it something that you can apply yourself to for a lifetime. So prayer is meant to be personal, it's meant to be simple, it's meant to be relational, and then finally, it's meant to be biblical. I was once talking to a gentleman, uh, he was quite a bit older than me, and we were just talking about his prayer life a little bit, and he was someone that wanted to be praying, but often found himself not praying. And one of the things that we teach within our company all the time is that beliefs drive behavior. Right, So the age of tactical behavior change is over. It's been proven that it doesn't work. right? And so what you really have to do if you want to see sustainable growth and change is you got to get to the beliefs that are driving to the behavior. So that's where we got to is like, what is it that you believe about prayer that is driving the fact that it's like you say you want to do it, but you're not consistently do it. And he kind of sat back and I really appreciated the way that he treated this question with a high degree of intentionality. And he looked at me and He said, Alex, um, I want to tell you about my relationship with my mom. I said, okay. He said, she's since passed away, but I think one of her spiritual gifts was laying one heck of a guilt trip, right? Like she could do that. 
And he said, when I moved away across the country, I would often feel guilty that I couldn't see her as much. And part of that was internal in me, but part of that was things that she said were meant to make me feel guilty. And so he said, so I wouldn't see her for a while, and then I'd feel guilty, and so then I would be less likely to go and see her because anytime I was around her, I felt guilty, so I would just stay away. He said, for me, that's prayer. And what I wanted to ask him that I also want to ask you is where on earth did you read that you should project the imperfections of your earthly mother and father onto your heavenly father? We live in an imperfect world with imperfect people in imperfect situations. He is good. And that's what the Bible says. And so you may say, well, Alex, I just struggle to spend time praying to a God that is just an angry taskmaster that is looking to punish people. And I would say, I struggle to pray to that God too, because I don't believe in that God. Your experience with God is always directly related to your concept of God. And so you want to make sure your concept of God is biblical. Reading scripture is the inhale. Prayer is the exhale. And this is the rhythm of the Christian life. So those are the fundamentals, right? That's the dribbling, passing, and shooting of prayer. And we got to make sure that any prayer we apply ourselves to, anytime we go to practice, we never want to apply ourselves to bad habits. And so my hope is that when you get into your prayer time tomorrow or Wednesday or Friday or whenever you come into church next Sunday, it's like you're, you're praying in a way that is personal and that is simple and that is relational and that is biblical. But then what is really helpful for me is I want a framework. I want something that I can follow. Now, we never want to become rule and regulation followers because God doesn't want us to follow rules. He wants us to be in relationship. But I find, like we already said, that a framework is really helpful because a framework doesn't care about my feelings all the time. And sometimes, whenever we focus on practice, there's power not just in extravagancy, but there's power in consistency. What are you doing every single day? Small things make a big difference. And so it's with that that we already know prayer that's biblical is the Lord's prayer that offers us or that Jesus offers us in Matthew 6. And so from there, what I really like to do is, man, let's extract the spirit of that. And what Jesus is saying is not you need to pray this prayer every single time because he prayed a wide variety of prayers. He just said, this is a framework. These are the principles. These are the patterns that you should follow whenever you should pray. And so when I see something like that, it's like my dad worked for NASA growing up. And if there's one thing I learned working for or living with an engineer that worked for NASA, it's that, man, there's power in a good acronym. Right. Oh, there's such power in a good acronym. And so the, the acronym that I wanted to share with you today to make this really practical is ACTS. Okay, A-C-T-S. And when you sit down to pray tomorrow, not if, but when you sit down to pray tomorrow, I would just challenge you to apply yourself to this acronym in practice of prayer. And so the, the first letter in the acronym is A. And the A stands for adoration, When's the last time you immersed yourself in the goodness of who God is? I'm not talking about do you know it logically. I'm talking have you immersed yourself in it? Have you been drowned by the goodness and glory and faithfulness of God? 
That's what we're talking about when we're talking about adoration. Because here's what we know to be true biblically. God is love. Thomas Aquinas defines love as to will the good of the other. That's the action of love. God doesn't just do love. God is love. He is willing the good of you all the time. And when you first immerse yourself and wrap yourself in that coat of what that is, oh my gosh, that's the type of thing you want to spend time with, right? That's the type of thing you want to engage with. And then we start to remember, okay, well, what else is biblically true? Well, he's irrefutable, undeniable, uncontainable, immutable, unstoppable. He's omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. He's the God that was and is and is to come. He's all seeing, all knowing. He's everywhere all the time. He created the sun and the moon, the stars and the heavens, the earth and the waves. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the creator, the controller, the sustainer. He started it all, is in it all, continues it all, and will end it all. Not only that, we're not waiting for him to win. He has won. He is victorious. He sent his son to die for me. And then that son didn't just stay dead. He rose up from the dead that we may live. If you immerse yourself in adoration like that, you're going to need a bigger inner room. (laughs) The neighbors are going to start to get angry. And it doesn't have to be in the same personality style of how I would do it. But what does it look like to connect emotionally, spiritually, physically to who God is at the start of every prayer? Put together this list, and I'm sure there's a way that we could share this with you as well. These are the biblical names for God. These are the metaphors for God. And what's helpful for me is that sometimes when I don't feel like it, well, a professional doesn't allow their feelings to drive their practice. They allow their practice to drive their feelings. And so I'm just going to choose one of these names, and I'm going to dwell and immerse myself in the power of one of these names and say, how does that overlay into my situation? Adoration is dwelling and immersing yourself in the goodness of who God is. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear is not terror there. It's awe and reverence and respect. And I know Dan gave a message on awe recently, and so y'all have spent some time on this, but that's what we're talking about, is starting by just being blown away by the goodness in God, because that gives you the robust strength that you're going to need to engage with the sea. Because the sea is confession, This is Dan's influence on my life, the fact that I still do this today, is he told me, I was in college when he told me this, he said, Alex, I think it would be really good for you to adopt the practice and discipline of written confession. Changed my life. Why? Because every single day is an opportunity to get two inches off center. And every single morning, confession offers an opportunity to return to center. I go seven days without confession, I get 14 inches off center. I go a year without positive, life-giving, real, accurate confession, I'm miles from where I used to be and I don't even know it. 
Sometimes we get these images in our head whenever it comes to confession that we're going to walk into this dark and cloudy booth and we're going to talk to someone behind a screen that we have no idea who they are and we're driven by guilt because this is something we're obligated to do. I don't believe that is biblical confession. I believe biblical confession is that God created you to be someone, his son and daughter, and that every inch you move away from that, it breaks his heart. And he's just calling you back. It's not obligation, it's opportunity. It's not burden, it's blessing. Because, yeah, thank you, yeah. Y'all are just the freaking best. This is great. What does this connect to, though? Well, I think it connects to the fact, if you think about, it's in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewal always begins with reality. And so we started with the reality of who God is. But you, you know this, if you've been around anyone or had a family member or dealt with this with yourself, addiction is rooted in denial, right? And addiction is wanting more and more of something that works less and less. But you will convince yourself that this is now true whenever it's not. And if you don't have a rhythm of confession to say, what am I doing in the realm of a loving father? you'll be miles off center. So what does this look like practically? We said it's not sitting down in a booth. Honestly, this is what confession often looks like for me. It's sitting down and closing my eyes in the morning, taking a deep breath and then saying, God, where am I being wildly stupid right now? And there's always an answer, right? There's always an answer because the, answer, the, the question is not, have I screwed up? It's where, when, and how did I screw up? But then the beauty of this is the question is not, am I forgiven? The question is, have I received his forgiveness? But here's something that's worth noting, and man, you can chew on this for years. Your ability to receive truth will never exceed your ability to receive grace. Because to use Jack Nicholson's line, you can't handle the truth. The truth about who I am is hard. I am broken. I am finite. I am fallible. I am imperfect. And if I don't have a robust, deep, living, vibrant belief in the grace of who God is, I can't see the truth. It is too uncomfortable for me. So I would rather live in denial in a world that says this does not exist. But to the degree that I believe Jesus actually died because he knew all those things about me were true, oh my gosh, then it gives me the courage and the strength and the humility of power to confess. And it's pretty amazing. If you've engaged in confession, maybe with God before, or maybe with another person before, you've had this feeling where you just feel your shoulders go, ah. you know what that's like. And when that happens, it's like the natural impulse, you can't even help it, is thanksgiving. And that's the T. Gratitude. Dan, this was so good in between services. He told me, he said, Alex, I think it's really helpful to define adoration as dwelling on who God is and thanksgiving as dwelling on what God has done. We are so ungrateful. 
And I think it can be really easy to say sometimes where it's like, man, I, I hear these stories from the stage and I, I hear these stories in books and stuff like that of people that had a front row seat to a miracle. And I just don't get that front row seat to a miracle. I've never experienced that. I would love to experience that. And I would just tell you, you are sitting in one right now. I remember when everything that we have experienced this morning was a prayer that those two prayed. Right? And some of you were there for that. Some of you were praying for that. And so for us to say like, gosh, I'm just waiting to see a miracle. Hello, you're in it. It's here. Praise God. Yes? I remember being in a prayer room where he said, man, we want to have a place where it's like the spirit can move and there's freedom for the spirit to equip the giftings of individuals in the room to be able to greet people and to be able to worship and to be able to spend time with each other, where we have a place that relationships are deep and life-giving and fulfilling, where we don't just do church on Sunday, but we do church throughout the week, where we're committed to serving our community, where we're driven by this compelled calling of we're going to go out and reach the multitudes and connect them to the living and power of Jesus Christ. I remember when that was a prayer. And then every time Aspen and I get to come visit, it's like, oh my God, prayer answered. That doesn't just happen. That's what gratitude looks like. It's us sitting in time personally, remembering this doesn't just happen. Every breath is a gift. Every friendship is a gift. And the beautiful thing is that gratitude extinguishes entitlement. Because entitlement is, I deserve this. Deserve, deserve, de-serve. De, apart or away from, serve. You can't serve from a posture of entitlement. It's from a posture of gratitude that you can't help but serve. And so sometimes I connect with people and we, some of the work that we get to do is we, we get to ask people questions like, how's your prayer life going? And sometimes we get people that are really driven to work on this and to want to grow in this practice. And that's just such a gift that we get to be in that with them. And we'll ask them, how's your prayer life going? And sometimes the response will be something to the effect of like, well, you know, it was good this morning, but nothing life-changing. To which I I never respond this way, but my response, I always want it to be, okay, just one question. How dare you? (laughs) Because who exactly do you think you are to know what changes your life? And let's think about this for a second. You spent 30 minutes this morning in prayer. You spent 30 minutes thinking on what is good and right and beautiful and true about God. What exactly was the alternative? 30 minutes of Fox News and CNN? And your morning is part of your life. So it's actually literally true that praying this morning changed your life. What does it look like to start your day from a posture of gratitude? Say, God, open my eyes to everything that you've done because I'm so capable of not seeing it. And that brings us to supplication. And I know that in this series aware, y'all have talked about this some, and and I think there was actually a pretty good sermon on it during the, the worship set this morning because supplication is supply. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, God says, 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. And we can read that at a really shallow level and say, oh, so God is like Santa Claus. No, because the way that we're called to engage with God is not, God, what can I get from you? Maybe the right question is, God, what do you want to do for me? Maybe it's not, let me will my way into the world. Maybe it's, let me pray until your will comes into the world. Maybe it's dwelling on the reality of the fact that God is what's good and right and beautiful and true. And just having the guts to say, God, give me a vision. Give me an image of what this meeting that I have today would look like if it were good and right and beautiful and true of what this conversation that I have with a family member would look like, what would that look like if it was good and right and beautiful and true? If when I interacted with this individual that is struggling with an addiction, what would it look like for me to interact with that person in a way that was good and right and beautiful and true? Because sometimes we say, I don't hear the voice of God. I don't audibly hear the voice of God. And I relate to you if that's you. But man, God can speak through you asking the question, what is good and right and beautiful and true? And then giving you an image of, man, this is what it looks like not to treat that person with anger or resentment or bitterness, but rather radical, uncommon, unprecedented grace. Because here's what I know is that is not of me when that happens. Ask, seek, knock, Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Endurance, persistence, commitment, fortitude, faithfulness. Faith is the evidence of things you hope for and the assurance of what you cannot see. Do you have the guts to imagine a future that doesn't yet exist, and then to act like it does. That's supplication. And so that's the practice of prayer. He gave us the fundamentals, and he gave us the framework. This was a really hard message to prepare. And it was hard not because I didn't have anything to say. It was like, this is, over the past three years, this, this, what we're talking about today has literally changed my life. And I was like, what do you give to these people? Because I want so bad, I want so bad in my bones for you to experience prayer the way that I've experienced prayer over the past three years. I want that so bad for you. And so I was like, what, do, what can I say? What can I say that would hopefully just get us all on that path? And I thought about it, and I thought, man, it seems fitting that we're in Austin because it was over a decade ago now that I started coming to Austin. My sister came to the University of Texas two years before I did, and I started coming here a couple weekends, and then I eventually came to school here and then lived here for a while and still come back pretty often. And it was when I came here in high school that I would always go for a run around Lady Bird Lake. And there's this tree in the center of the trail at one part of Lady Bird Lake. It's this beautiful oak tree. And it was just this quirky thing that I would do that every time I would pass that tree, I just hit it with my hand. And it was almost like a high five to the tree. 
And it was just this thing that I just started doing just as this weird habit at the beginning, but then I just kept doing it, right? And, and so I would do it, you know, every once in a while whenever we would come visit for a football game or come visit to see my sister. And then I started to go to college here and I would start doing it then. And, and then after a while, it's like it started to gain in meaning to me. Like every time I run here, it's like that tree is there and I hit it and I hit it and I hit it. And it's like, man, I, I hit that tree when I graduated high school. I, I hit that tree when I lost my job. I hit that tree when I got a new job. I hit that tree when I became drum major of the Longhorn Band. I hit that tree whenever my sister graduated from college and she moved away. I hit that tree in some of the darkest moments that I experienced hopelessness for a family member of mine that was gripped by addiction. I hit that tree recently whenever I realized that addiction has been lifted and that's a miracle. I hit that tree when I got engaged to Aspen and then I came here with Aspen last time I was here and we hit that tree together. I hit the freak tree. And so now when I see that tree, it's like I was running yesterday and I see that tree and I'm like, like, I have tears in my eyes. And it's like, I mean, I know there's people in Austin that when they see trees, they cry, but like, I, I'm not that type of person, right? So it's like, you kind of have to ask the question, like, what's going on here? Like, what, what is it? And it's not the fact that it's a tree. It's a great tree, but that's not it. It's that the tree was always there. That's prayer. He's always there. And my hope for you is that you get yourself on a trajectory starting today where you just keep hitting the tree. You just keep making those deposits. Because what I know to be true is that you'll look up a year from now or five years from now or a decade from now You'll be blown away by the reality that he's always there. Prayer is a practice. Well, I hope that was valuable for you, and I hope that it was impactful for you. I want to say a quick thank you personally to Dan Underhill and Kelly Underhill, the pastors of Cornerstone Church, for trusting me uh, with their place and with their people. It's such an honor to get to teach at that just remarkable church. And I'll tell you, if you are ever in the greater Austin area, holy cow, you have to go see what they're doing at Cornerstone Church. We'll put the link to that church's website uh, in the show notes of this episode. And for you, my prayer for you is that you would really take this episode as a challenge and, and an encouragement that you could have a thriving a vibrant, healthy, flourishing prayer life, and that if you were to invest the time into both the fundamentals and the framework of what Jesus taught us it takes to make that type of prayer life possible, just anticipate that God is going to do outrageous things in your life, in your marriage, in your parenting, certainly in your leadership, in your business. It is one thing that I truly believe from experience has the capacity to change everything. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We're praying for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.